Welcome to another leadership podcast from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. What a great night to be in God's house together. If you remain standing with me, we're going to jump into uh, our new series entitled Identity. And uh, my prayer is that the Lord will take you on a journey over the next probably four to six weeks. Um, I think that there's some really profound things, not in my message, but in our experience that really have to do with identity and you knowing who you are and you being able to have a firm understanding of who you are in this world, of who God says that you are. And that is the byproduct of having an experience with God and seeing God for who he is. And there's that knowledge, but then there's the revelation of that. And those are two different things. I grew up as a kid who believed in God, and that knowledge will only take you so far. But then there came the moment where I had an experience with God, and there was a revelation. And I remember saying, I, God is really real. See, prior to that, I believed in God, but at that moment, I experienced God. And when you have a revelation of who God is, so often you'll also have a revelation of who you are. And many of you have already had that revelation. It's a, it's a working knowledge and experience within you. But my prayer is if you haven't had that, that he will visit you in a profound way as we talk about this concept, as we pray together. And of course, my notes are always available online in a, in a general bin. And if you use your phone and you, you were to scan that QR code, you'll be able to follow along. I want to take you to a really cool scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 12. And... Uh, in the, um, in the scripture there, it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Another translation will say, now we see through a glass dimly. Not all that long ago, I got contacts, and as, as skillful as I am, uh, I was not able to get my contacts in my eyes in the doctor's office. And part of the problem was there was this little tiny mirror and you have to take your glasses off to put this almost invisible little round disc into your eye. And the lady's like, well, you just need, 25 times at least. You just need to, I'm like, I understand, I just need to. But I cannot see what I'm trying to do. And so I went home and I bought myself a 12-power light-up LED giant Hubble telescope to be able to see me drop these tiny invisible discs. You should see me trying to travel on, at the airlines with this giant pedestal mirror. It's difficult to see when you're looking through a dull mirror or, or a, a glass that's not clear. And the Bible says that is what we're experiencing right now. But then someday we're going to see, talking about heaven face to face. I know in part now, but then I shall know fully, even as currently I am fully known. And it just reveals this idea that you've just caught a glimpse of God, and that glimpse may grow, but someday face to face, but God has a clearer eye on you at all times. Just because your side of the glass is frosted does not mean he struggles at all to see truth and to see you clearly. And he will give you a revelation of who he is, and he'll give you a revelation of who you truly are. And when you understand that, then all of these things contained in Scripture will work together on your behalf so well. I wanted to entitle my message tonight, Counterfeit Identity. Because the truth is, you need to discover who you really are. 
who he really is, not the counterfeit. So if you'll do me a favor, place your hand over your heart and let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful tonight, both here in this room and at home, for who you are. God, you've, even though we're wandering around in the dark, you've not left us to that darkness. You, through your Holy Spirit, you reveal to us truth. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. We know that you're present, and as believers, you live within us, but we lean into you right now. We need your revelation power. We need truth to be revealed so that we understand more clearly. Lord, to have clear verbiage, to have a clear vision, to have a clarity of understanding is so important, especially in the times in which we live. And so I pray for that revelation over the next weeks for all of us so that we can become the better version of us and arrive at better outcomes in life as we can see you more clearly and we can see ourselves more clearly. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Amen. Look at the person next to you. Give a high five. Say, I know who you are. You might not, but I know who you are. And God certainly knows who you are as well. And if you want to grab your Bible and you can be seated, we're going to, again, jump into some Scripture. Tonight will serve as kind of an introductory, but if you'll hang with me and you'll dive into the Scripture, and my hope is that you'll be in prayer about this whole concept over the next few weeks, I think that uh, some good ground will be taken together as we press in. Um, You know, there's a couple different versions of identity. I've kind of created this definition uh, using the dictionary and some understanding that I see in Scripture But you have two identities. You have your perceived identity, and then you have a biblical identity. Now, I know that you hopefully have one set of legal documents to reveal who you are. Uh, Nobody hopefully has any counterfeit IDs for saying you're older or younger than you are. But there's a perceived identity, and there's a biblical identity. The perceived identity is actually that ever-changing sum total of who you are based on the voices, and that's a key word. Based on the voices of your genetics, your appearance, your abilities, your qualities, your attitudes, your beliefs, your experiences, your actions, and believe it or not, the opinions of others. From the moment you are born, there are voices constantly bombarding your life to tell you who you are. And sometimes those are positive and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're external, but I've experienced the loudest voices telling me who I am are the ones that rattle around inside this skull right here. And those are the loudest and sometimes the most wrong voices for me personally to listen to. Now, on the flip side, in the better side of the coin is this understanding that we all have a biblical identity. We've read that so many times as we've gathered together scripture that reveals that God was there at the moment you were conceived. And when you were conceived, he actually pushed into that conception his will, his desire, your genetic code. It wasn't just a biological reaction between uh, the the sum of mom and dad coming together, but God's spirit was present to breathe purpose into your future. And all of his dreams for you and all of your skills, your abilities, your wiring, God actually pushed that into you to create your biblical identity. And that, unlike the first, is the never-changing sum total of who you are based on God's voice that continues to speak over you since conception. He was there to speak you into existence. And he continues to speak over your life. The Bible says, how many are your thoughts? How marvelous are your thoughts of me, O God? In other words, that God is constantly 
focusing on each of us, thinking thoughts about us, and speaking those thoughts over our lives. But as I read that first scripture, as we started, we're hearing this or seeing this through a dim glass. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to hear what you're saying, but I, it's hard to perceive God. It's hard to understand what is actually being spoken over my life. You know, there's a song that some of you have grown up with that you thought it was some CSI song, but me growing up in the 70s with uh, The Who and Pete Townsend, Who Are You? Who I won't use all the words because some versions are inappropriate, but the song, most of you would know the song, Who Are You? And it's actually a song that Pete Townsend wrote after being very conflicted. One day he showed up in New York City to be able to kind of barter over the franchises of his band's money and how they were going to be paid. He was very frustrated in this meeting, and where he was meeting, artists called it the Tin Pan. And after he left, he was worried that he had sold out his band for money. He did not want his message to be squelched for the man. And so he stopped at a pub on his way home, and there was another band that was in there, an up-and-coming band, who had a dialogue with him and were praising him and all the work that his band had done, paving the way for them. And unfortunately, as he listened to this, it pushed him down even deeper because he felt like he had just sold out. So while there at the pub, he cracked back a few extra pints and on his way to the subway, passed out in someone's doorway, and a police officer came and woke him up and recognized that this is Pete Townsend from The Who and said, hey, listen, if you can get up and walk away, I'll let you go. You won't go to jail. And so he got up and he staggered towards the tube or the subway. And on the train there, he was still drunk. And in the process, he's reeling about. And eventually in verse 3, he arrives at home, which is symbolic when he says of the rolling pin. He's talking about the maternal position of his wife at home, who greeted him ever more affectionate. And yet he was embarrassed because now he was showing up drunk. And why does a woman like you even love me? And he stood there thinking, not who are you, but who are you? He was a man who was had deep desires to do certain things, but felt the pressure of the world and people and circumstances causing him to be somebody he did not want to be, to sell himself out. And so the whole song is really, what is your identity? Who are you? And I don't know about you, but that's a reality that I have faced in my lifetime. It's the who am I? Who do my actions say that I am? Who do my experiences say that I am? Who are my external influences forcing me to become? Who does my past say that I am? Who do people perceive me to be? What do the, who do the voices in my head say that I am? Who do I want to be? Who do I believe that I can be? What is my true identity? When you really look at Scripture, you discover that cloaked since birth... Your struggle to discover your identity has been assaulted by voices desiring to create a counterfeit version of you. I look around this room and I know many of your stories, and even from young childhood, you have grown up under difficult circumstances. Some of you had the perfect childhood, and yet there were other voices that pressed through. 
And they showed up at a very young age. And some of it was whispers in your ears or in your ears or situations you found yourself in or things that happened to your family that began to dictate to you who you are. And yet what they were saying is actually not really true of who you are. You know, I've got multiple hilarious stories that I could tell you about my quest for my own personal identity, but I'll jump to the ninth grade, um, because there's a lot before that. But in the ninth grade, I show up day one, and I have entered the universe called high school. And for me, it was very confusing. There was three very distinct groups of people there that were students. Now, back in the day, for me, you were either a preppy, a stoner, or you were a jock. Now, a preppy, for those of you who don't know, is someone who wore colorful khaki pants. Dickies, they call them now. They're coming back in. And you wore a short sleeve alligator sweater shirt. It was also colorful with the collar tipped up. And you walked around like you had no body odor. I'll say it that way, okay? That was, those were preppies. They were the trendy kids. And then there were the jocks, the athletes, walked around kind of bummy jeans and, well, kind of like I'm dressed right now. Very athletic. When you looked at them, you knew they were in top physical shape, right? And yet they kind of all hung together and they all competed. They were all athletes. Now, the stoner, like work boots and blue jeans and jean jackets, they're all walking around, hey, man, what's up? And whether they were stoned or not, you were a stoner. And I was really conflicted because I did not know how I fit in. So what I did was I went to the store and I picked out three different tracts of outfits. I bought a pair of bright green dickies and a pink Izod shirt with a little alligator, some shoes to match. And then, of course, I got my jeans and my hoodie and my sport, you know, the, the, the team coat for our high school with the mascot, the Lancers. And then I also went down to the record shop because back then you didn't just buy your stuff online. There were actual vinyl record shops. And there you could also buy concert shirts for your favorite band. But because I did not know any favorite, I didn't have a favorite band. I was still listening to, uh, I think it was called W. trying to I'm the only one who's ever struggled with their identity so let me just preach for the next 6 weeks to myself however that was where I was at as a ninth grader trying to figure out where do who am I because I really don't know and I'm really looking for somebody that will identify with me and there's humorous stories to go along with this um, but I'll say this, as humorous as all this is, it can lead to encounters that can radically change the outcome of your life and lead you to some spots that are really not part of your identity. I would say that probably almost everyone who ends up in a bad, dead end in life 
ends up because of this very thing that I'm talking about. They wanted to fit in and someone invited them in and usually it's the wrong voice. You know, counterfeit voices are very active in our lives. They're very active and you really need to understand kind of what they're after. You know, counterfeit voices are, t- are typically, uh, I went too far. I didn't trust the technology. Counterfeit voices want to do three things. You're going to notice a trend here. Counterfeit voices want to skew your vision through deception. They want to believe, want you to believe something that's not true. There's a, um, I don't remember what, I think it's, a, it's an episode of The Office where um, Michael um, puts a GPS in his car, but it's not working correctly. And so while looking at the GPS says you should drive forward, there's clearly a lake. But he's like, no, we got to go by the GPS. And he drives right, the car right into the lake. As funny as that is, I want you to know that it is that deliberate. There are voices that have shown up in your life to lead you to destinations to, for everyone else can see very clearly, this is bad news. But you're like, no, this is the way I should go. And as crazy as it is that Michael would argue with Dwight in the car, no, it says we have to go this way. That has been possibly you arguing with the proper voices in your world because that voice has been so strong. See, if a a deception can be created, you will navigate forward believing a lie. And we see in Scripture that is actually what the enemy has been working in your life from day one. John chapter 8, verse 44 says um, that the devil was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Jesus went on to say of the devil, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. When the enemy opens up his mouth, he lies. Why does he lie? Why is he so interested in lying? Because if he can get you to believe a lie, you will react. It will skew your vision. You know, there are some things that you believe right now that are actually influenced by this. There are things, there's some fear within you, and it's there because the enemy has distorted truth. There are some good things that you're not going after because you've been deceived. There are some bad things that you might be pursuing. There's actually some things that possibly about yourself that you believe that are absolutely not true. Anybody been there to discover any of those? And yet there's some great things that you have a hard time believing because the enemy wants to skew your vision through deception. The second thing is that he wants to influence your action with those lies. Really simple. Um, And we'll get to that in a second, but just look at the very first account of man and woman. Just how how radically he, just through a, a twisting, gets them to react or act upon a deception that leads to a different place. And ultimately, what these voices are after is to lead you to a spot of less than best Anytime we capital, I, I talk about best, I think David mentioned it tonight. He said less than best. We're talking about God has best for you. God has not created you for bad or worse or semi-good. God has created you for best. You know how I know? The Bible says that Jesus came so that you could have life and life more what? Abundantly. Like really, that means like the 
The literal translation is to have really, 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 really good life. Not that it doesn't have its problems, but really, really, really lively, 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 lively life. Good life. That's why one of the reasons Jesus came. Not just to forgive your sin, but so that you could have best life. And ultimately, the enemy wants to keep you from that. And he is active. And I know that he is a single being, but he's got a lot of other resources and actively working to lead you to less than best. His victory is that you don't experience God's best. Every micro and every macro moment in life. Take a look just really quick at the first uh, case of counterfeit identity. This is how it works. You've got God who has created man and woman. And in Genesis chapter 131, after he sets their lives up, God saw everything that he had made on the day he created them. And behold, he says, and it was very good. He had said everything prior to that was good, but of man and woman, after he created them, put them together, he said, very good. Like there's an emphasis, the word very from the original Hebrew is miod, and it means muchness with a force of abundance. I mean, it's like if you can get a drink of water out of the water fountain, put your face in front of a fire hose. Much. Like so much coming your way that it almost blowing your face off, and that's connected with the word good, which means pleasant, agreeable, good. God set them up, and he spoke identity over them. He said, very good. Now, you got to hear this because you need to understand that the moment you were conceived, God said the same thing of you. And I know that some of you have heard otherwise, well, we didn't really want to have kids, or you were a mistake, or you were the byproduct of something that wasn't planned or whatever was spoken about your, your coming into this world. Every person that's ever been conceived, whether born or not, God said, very good. A fire hose excessive, very, 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 very high volume abundance of good. That's God's identity over you. It's remarkable. It's hard for me to even fathom. I don't know that I've ever really, prior to an encounter with God, ever even been able to wrap my head around that or even understood that. I mean, I think my parents were happy to have me show up. They made me feel that way. They were glad they, they wanted to have a son. But that level that God said, no, 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 no. We didn't just want to have a kid. I created you, and I created you very, very, very very good. How does God think of me? I mean, think about this for a second. This applies to all of us. Very, 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 very good. The idea of you, the existence of you, the destiny of you, regardless of what voices have happened through experience or circumstance or failure or, or victory. He says, very, very, very good. That was the voice, that was the identity spoken over you, and that will be till the last breath. You hear me? So important to understand that. Now, how did this thing work in their life? This first counterfeit identity shows up this way, another voice. It's a voice. It's a suggestion that presents an alternative identity. 
An alternative identity, not just about Adam and Eve, but an alternative identity about God. And that's how this thing works, because if you have a revelation of who God really is, through that glass, you will also see who you really are. So the enemy tries to distort who God is so that then you see a distortion of yourself, or vice versa, you hear a distortion of yourself, which then reflects back on God in a way that's not true. And so that voice says, listen to just a simple suggestion, because God created very good. You know what very good means? Perfect. Exactly how it should be. Lacking nothing, all containing everything needed to live out a great, excellent life. And yet the enemy comes along and says, oh, well, you know, here, the reason why he's saying, God is saying that you shouldn't eat this is because actually you are lacking something. You see, God doesn't want you to have the full thing. This very, very, very good is actually not completely true. It's almost really good, but if you were to enjoy this fruit, then, then you would have the full package with the undertone that God is holding out on you. Oh, God, there's really cool things that you say I can't do. What, does that sound like you ever been a teenager? <laughs> oh, well, if I serve God, then I won't get to do all the really, really cool things. I'm going to tell you what, you serve God, you will experience the coolest of the coolest of the coolest, uh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I unfortunately didn't, come to Christ till I was 18 years old. I can tell you, the things that God has are way better than, than what these voices offer. But there's that counterfeit voice offering, uh, wielding false accusations against you and God, and that leads to ultimately a counterfeit identity that's leaned into, and man, that just leads to less than best. You know, as we look into that scripture, immediately a couple things happen. It says their eyes were open but their eyes were already opened. This opening of the eye is not a better thing as if their eyes were closed. It's now an opening to evil, something that's less than best. It's, it's a downward trip down. The Bible says they opened their eyes and suddenly they felt like they were naked. They'd never felt naked before, although they were not clothed. The word naked here does not refer to not having clothes. It refers to the idea that suddenly I feel less than. I have something to be embarrassed about. I am, I'm not all that I should be. Where is something to hide myself? I need, I need to figure out if I'm not complete, am I a preppy? Am I a jock? Am I a stoner? What am I? So I need to create something to hide behind that's now hiding my less than. When God created us, very, very, very good. Genesis 3.10 says then that they were hearing the sound of God in the garden, and for the first time ever, it created fear. See, deception skews your vision. How many people have been afraid of God when they've done something wrong, when in reality, when you've done something wrong, that's the time to run towards God, Right? How many of us have walked into church, kept our hands in our pockets because of something we said or did this past week, thinking, I'm not worthy to raise my hands in God's presence, when in reality, you've never been worthy, and the thing you should do right after you sin is run into the house of God and raise your hands and begin to worship God. Let God cleanse that. Listen, if we wait until we're worthy to worship God, hell's going to freeze over. <laughs> okay? So, with that, 
When identity is not clear, when identity is not, when identity is not clear, alternative identities are imagined and assumed, polluting our actions and our reactions and the outcomes. Um, I could tell you a ton of stories, but I'm going to tell you one. This will hit really close to home for some of you, but it's not about someone here. It's about a good friend of mine in Ohio. Uh, some of you have met him, uh, Scott and Jenny Duncan, really, really close friends. Um, they have three kids of their own. Their, their youngest is probably about 14, beautiful young girl. They have another daughter who's probably 18, 19. She's right now traveling uh, doing mission work around the country. Their oldest son, he's probably 22, great young carpenter, just a great kid. And Scott and Jenny, they used to be pastors of a church. And uh, probably about 10 years ago, they, they really were burdened in their heart to get involved with foster care. And one of the first kids to come into their home was a little boy named Xavier, just a cute redheaded kid, four years old. But Xavier had been through it. He, he was born to a mom who was a drug addict, so he was born with an addiction. And then he extremed severe neglect and severe abuse and even sexual abuse as a small baby. And so in the process of those formative years, when they got Xavier, although he was cute to look at as a young boy, his behavior was extreme in all different directions. And it was challenging, but the family all rallied together and although he would do some of the most bizarre things, all very common because of what he had been through, but he would urinate in the corner of his bedroom. He would play with his feces and smear it upon himself. He would hoard, and I'm just being, I'm just being honest with you. This is what they were dealing with. He would hoard food. Although he had access to all the food in the house, he would hoard food and hide it under his bed. He would steal objects from the house, valuable to the family for no reason, and store them underneath his, his mattress. He would lie for no reason. Did you, did you, do you want a cookie? No, he wanted a cookie. Did you eat a cookie? No, he had eaten a cookie. It wasn't a matter of being in trouble. He would just kick into lies in the process. And so obviously they loved him unconditionally. They worked with him, but it was challenging. A day in grind. There were times when he's disappeared out of the house and run away and shown up at a neighbor's house saying that he had, he didn't know who his parents were. And as the Three o'clock in the morning, and as his family began to ask him questions, they realized that, no, 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 he does have a family. He's lying to us, and the police have brought, you know, the little boy home. And so many years have gone by, about 10 years, and they have worked with him, and he's had great moments and lower moments. And this last year, well, um, probably when he was about five years old, they got a phone call, and his, uh, Xavier's birth mom was now pregnant again. And so they had to make a decision, and they wanted to make sure that they kept the Xavier and his future sister together, and the mom was not wanting to keep the baby. So they brought these two kids together and adopted both of them. And so they were fully invested, and the family really rallied around this. And so here probably about a year ago, Xavier, his behavior began to spiral in an opposite direction, and they realized that there were some things going on, and as he's becoming a teenager, and they made the tough decision that they needed to place him in a facility where he could get additional counseling and additional help. And so they were excited about this because they, they didn't know what more to do, and after praying about it and researching and dialoguing with others, they engaged him into this, this home. 
It was tough for them because they could only talk with him once a month. And they want to talk to him every day. They would engage regularly with his counselors. And he started at first, nothing was happening. And then suddenly he began to do much better. And then they got a phone call that he wasn't doing well at all. On Friday, I got a phone call from Scott and Jenny. And Xavier had just met with his personal counselor. And he made accusation of abuse from mom and dad. Now, he's a teenage boy, and he's going through a difficult time, and he's angry. But he detailed a few of the things, and without getting into all the detail, my friend is calling me up, and he's given his heart. This, this, this quest to see this little boy do well is so big in his life that he stopped pastoring to get his, to get his master's in counseling. Over the last year, he's been engaged in um, internship where he's counseling children because his real quest is after seeing his own son do better, but he's wanting to help other people going through the same thing. And here he's graduated, and he's in his first job working in a school district helping children. And I'm going to tell you what, he's the perfect person for this because there's not many men who are involved in this arena. And he's just got, he's a very charming person. He's hilarious. And children immediately let down their guard, and he's able to get traction when no one else has, ha- has been able to. And so it's remarkable. But then on Friday, he gets this letter that him and his wife are under investigation for neglect and abuse. And I can hear it in his voice that just in the accusation, I'm being identified as a certain thing. And as tough as that is, and I, I encouraged him because... That letter went out to the entire county, people that he's worked with to not only get his degree, but worked with in working with his son. It'll go out to people that are are involved with his life in the community. And like right now, his first reaction is everybody is going to think that we've been abusive and we've been neglectful. And I had to reel him in and say, no, 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 listen, there's going to be people that come to your aid and defense. In fact, the counselor who sent out this letter is the very one who diagnosed him as a chronic liar four weeks ago. You know, but when someone uses their voice to label you, it has a huge impact, right? And I think about people who have a great destiny, how wicked the enemy is to whisper that, not just in their ear, but now through the megaphones of social channels and through institutional channels. I just, I tell you that story just to, to, to be quite transparent with you, to be able to say, I know that there's been voices that have spoken over you. And there's been a strong agenda on some of you, and, and the agenda has been incredibly strong. The voice has been incredibly loud because there is a lot at stake here. Because if you ever, ever dis ever are able to ever dial into your identity, who you really are, all of God's best is within play. When you look at the disciples and you look especially at Peter, what a mess up. What an emotional wild man who can mess up any perfect moment, Peter. Actually, Simon is his name. And he does some of the stupidest things. And his heart is completely pure. And yet he does some of the stupidest things. At one point, Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Don't get so excited. Um, The Lord has probably said that to you a few times as well. 
I know he has to me. He's not really calling you Satan, he's rec- you, but you are being influenced by the wicked one. There's a profound thing, though, that happens. It's a moment of revelation. I don't know what, maybe what voice that has defined you, but I know the voices that have defined me. I remember actually believing that I would be poor for my entire life. And I know poor is a relative word, but I, I believed it. My parents didn't really have much money. We grew up in an 800-square-foot house. Me and my sister had our own bedrooms. My parents slept, slept in the living room. I was not proud of our home. I never dreamed that I would own a home. I didn't own my first home until I was 30 years old. I believed that I was going to be poor. And then you know what I did when I became a Christian? Well, it's okay to be poor. Jesus was poor. In fact, all the spiritual people are poor, which is not true. And I actually bought into a lie. But what's amazing is that somebody could argue with me for hours to try to convince me knowledge, but God is able to go beyond knowledge and download supernaturally a revelation. My prayer is that like some of my words tonight are getting your attention to understand that you are more than you believe that you are. Your future is better than you've dreamed. There's more within you than you think. God is able to bring out of you without any external everything that you need for the seasons ahead. That God is able to pull some things out of you that reside in there because he put them there. They've been there since the moment you were born, just waiting for truth to drop onto your heart, igniting the release that allows that destiny to come out. That if you get a revelation, regardless of what you've been through, if you've been abused, if you've sinned horrifically. I mean, when you, when you look at Paul the Apostle, who is originally Saul, he killed Christians thinking he was doing God a favor. How do you live with that? There's only one way. It's not just by saying, God, I'm sorry. It's by a revelation from God that regardless of what my circumstances say that I am, all of heaven says that I am very, very, very good. My prayer is that you'll be able to see yourself in the mirror. It's hard to see when it's dim. It's hard to see when it's negative power. But my hope is to crank up the power. It's 20, 30, 40, 50 fold. You are not damaged goods. You are not that person that they said you were. You are not who you were on your worst day. Your worst screw-up does not define you. You are not who you believe yourself to be. But I can't convince you, but I do know that God can reveal it to you. It's like when he breathes that into your very soul, you'll be able to experience. Stand with me. Let me read this this verse to you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 through 18. You see this beautiful moment of revelation. Jesus asked Simon, who we know also is about to be named Peter, but his name is Simon. Simon, who do, you, who, who do you think I am? And they were saying, well, some people think you're this. Some think, people think you're a teacher. Some people think you're a prophet or a miracle worker. But Simon, who do you say I am? And Simon just blurts out like he normally does. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Identity. I can see who you are. 
You know how he could see who he was? It's not just the voice of circumstance, not just the voice of watching with your eyes or what other people are saying or what you feel in your feeler. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is what I am 100% confident that is happening in your life, will continue to happen in your life, whether we're talking about identity or any other thing. When you walk into this room, you're in big trouble because the Holy Spirit resides in God's people. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal truth to you. And one of the clearest truths that you need to hear first and foremost is who God really is and what he really thinks about you. Jesus said when he started his ministry, I've come to declare the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your worst day. He looks through the window of what Jesus has done and he sees very, very, very good. You hear me? He's able to clearly look back at the moment of your conception like he declared over Adam and Eve. Very, very, very good. He's able to see you with that clarity. You can't see yourself yet, but you're going to. You're going to be able to see that. Why? How? Because of the revelation power of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. You know why? Because he says, he speaks the truth. He's the voice that is louder than any other voice. And he's able to, through all that we do, speak to you about who he is and who you are. And so he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven and Since now you've experienced the revelation of God, let me give you the revelation of who you are. Because once you've got the revelation of God, you start to see yourself clearly as well. He says, you're not the screw up, you're not the mess up, you're not the volatile one that blows stuff. You are Peter, you are a rock. That's what I've said about you since the day you were born. You are not the divorced one. You're not the one who's abused somebody. You're not the one who, fill in the blank, whatever the voice has said. You're not being tolerated. Heaven celebrates you. Very good. And when somebody didn't want you, all of heaven said, we did. God wanted you. He wanted you. He's created billions of people, but he needed a you. You know how I know? Because you are here. He breathed out of his infinite desire and foreknowledge a you. You are here, and he says, very good. Come on, man. That's amazing. That's good news. It's humbling. I want you just, just for a minute, I want you to do me a favor. Just, just raise your hands and just look up to the heavens. Just just allow God's spirit just to breathe over you for a minute and connect you here on earth living in this glass that's dark and confusing and I don't know what's going on and allow the clarity that's available through the spirit of God so that the lines that are blurry can become clear because it's true. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here tonight. God, that you are able to reveal clearly God, who you are and who we are. You're able to wash our eyes that are are cloudy and allow us to see. God, I pray your whispers, your voice, what you say about each of us becomes clear at this moment. Allow your people to hear the very, very, very good, prized one, 
apple of my eye, object of my affection. I've never turned away. I've never stopped looking upon you. I cried when you went through the difficulty that you went through. I was not the author, but I wept. I saw. I saw the voices, and I've heard the voices you hear telling you that that has marked you when I can erase all of its impact if you will believe me. Father, we're so thankful that you speak, and your ability to speak in this house is highly honored. It's highly respected. It's desired. It's sought after. Breathe upon your people. Allow them to hear your voice out of heaven. God, wash our minds from the deception that we believe about ourselves, the wrong thoughts, the the darkness that would be poured into our lives from the one who would come to steal, kill, and destroy and allow the author of life's voice to once again redraw the lines of how we see ourselves on our best day and our worst to allow us to stand upright, sons and daughters of heaven, of you, that every step moving forward is informed by the confidence that God is for me. And if God is for me, who or what could be ever against me? That you'll guide my steps through this life. I'll be the head and not the tail. I'll be the winner and not the loser. I will have you helping me every step of the way. You'll help me to hear the voices and identify them as counterfeit. Holy Spirit, be the voice that we hear in our ears. Father, I pray for that revelation. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.